I used to teach a class called Persuasion and Influence Theory. Students that took that class learned that just about everything we do one way or another is some form of negotiation or it's done with us. We learn different skills and techniques for persuasion and influence to negotiate for the things that we want. So today, in this episode, we're going to talk about negotiation and the art of persuasion and influence theory, which was the name of my class. I'm just going to hit up a few key points and explain them to you so that hopefully you not only can see how they work, but also how they tie into many of the skills and discussions we've had in the last year or so on this podcast when it comes to talking to people, getting information, building relationships, building rapport, communicating, how we hide in plain sight, all that has to do with our behaviors, much of which is our interactions with people that involves in communication. So negotiation by virtue of persuasion and influence theory. That's what we're going to talk about right here in Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. For most of us, most of the time, negotiation is just a simple act of bargaining to get an end result, which may come by virtue of a consensus or compromise. Sometimes it's deals and trading. There's more to it than that. There's ways negotiation can be used that don't have much to do with bargaining, but can be sold that way. But we negotiate a lot, most commonly when we're buying things. If you go to a flea market, shop online like Craigslist, go to that garage sale, or even if you go to a corporation that sells items that can be negotiated for like automobiles, we tend to approach it in a way to realize we can get more out of it or hopefully get more in our favor than what they're trying to get from us. Now, that doesn't always work. Sometimes corporations negotiate with us without us having any ability to negotiate back. If you think about anything that you buy that isn't something that's you can bargain with or negotiate over, like say food in the vegetable aisle, one of the reasons we go there and look at these items beside the relationship we already have with that store or that company are things like marketing, advertising, sales, and coupons are ways that they can negotiate with us in order to get our service and our money, which isn't a bad thing. That's just part of life. But negotiation is something that happens quite a bit. Not all the time, but we all do it some way or another. Some of the key points we're going to talk about is six basic areas to look at that can help you when you're building rapport. Rapport building, I don't think I explained as a form of negotiation. You're negotiating kind of a climate and atmosphere of mutual trust and understanding, at least to some degree, in order to uh, get conversation flowing, build a relationship with somebody that may or may not lead to getting information. In the long term, when it comes down to things like interrogation or running sources on the intel side, there are situations where rapport building could take days, weeks, even months. And it's also always constant and always happening. Now, fortunately, we don't always have to do that in our everyday lives, especially with people that we know. And sometimes it's a lot easier with people we don't know. But there's things we can do to kind of move those conversations along. Also become less memorable because we'll be somewhat more likable or amenable. And it, of course, all depends on how much you're focusing that situation, whether or not you want to stand out. And the last one, I'll definitely have to cover pretty well because it's going to sound like it's completely against the gray man concept, but I'm going to explain how it works in. The first one we're going to talk about is reciprocity. It's the idea that people feel obliged or obligated to give something back when something's been given to them. It's kind of like going to Christmas when you go to your friend's house, you're invited over to somebody you don't know that well, and then they have a gift for you and you feel bad. The reason you feel bad is you feel obligated to give something back in return. It's a very common and normal feeling to have. 
And the thing is, is not quid pro quo because quid pro quo is typically something arranged beforehand. If you do this for me, I'll do it for you. We do it all the time. People do it with their kids. Hey, mom, it's Saturday. I thought we we're going to go to the pool. Yeah, we probably are, but I'm not even going to consider that until all the chores are done. That's a quid pro quo. You do this, here's what you're going to get in return. Reciprocity comes after the fact. After something's been given, you feel obligated to give something back in return. We use it all the time when we talk to sources in the intel world, especially on smaller situations and things like tactical interrogations or interrogations in the military that aren't long-term. Reciprocity is there and very common. It's very similar and arguably the same thing as giving them something for their time. We used to give them money for their time because we say we didn't buy intelligence, which is just a word game because we definitely pay for intelligence. We have the word game because paying for intelligence isn't something we're supposed to legally do. So we pay for their time and we value their time based on the intel they give. Sometimes we give them incentives. You know, an incentive could be in some type of prison system, could be extra blankets and pillows, could be special types of food, could be cigarettes. That's not something we're necessarily going to do in everyday life. But you just got to look at situations the way you're going to work it in when needed in order to get somebody in a position to feel like they need to give something to you. You want to do that when you're trying to get information. So anything they can do or tell you, let's say it's not even what you want, but you can tell they feel as though they're providing you something. A simple thank you and understanding of what they're doing for you and how much it's going to help you can put them in a position to where they feel like they have to give something back. Because see, they don't think is what they initiated giving you is something that you're obligated to give back. What you've given them, though, is the praise and the thanks and the appreciation, and therefore they want to do more for you. That can lead on to future conversations. It's something I would use cautiously and rarely, and I would definitely limit the idea of any sort of physical gift unless that's the environment, like, say, Christmas. But it can be a powerful tool in order to keep situations and relationships going. Another common form of negotiation can be difficult to work in your everyday life is something we call scarcity or unavailability. If you think of it as this deal is only happening this long, it's very common in marketing and advertising, or you know when a sale comes up for a certain holiday that's only going to be there for so long. Sometimes they tell you how long, just like every other ad, and sometimes you don't know exactly, but you know definitely it's going to happen on that day. You know, it used to be on Black Friday, which was the biggest idea of scarcity. As much as they had extra stuff, they only had so many of those things everybody wanted. And then we learned over time, Black Friday goes on a little longer than that. And then we have Monday for the internet. And it all pushes the idea of scarcity. That stuff will run out because more people are there trying to get it. So part of the things we can look at for scarcity is our time. If somebody wants to meet with you, like I've discussed in a previous podcast, and you can negotiate the end of time or the end in sight. In fact, I didn't put that on a podcast. Sorry, that is on the Intel training page where I discussed putting a time period on talking to people. That is an idea of scarcity. There's only so much available. So it doesn't have to be a physical object. It can just be your time. And even if you've never done that, you might've seen a situation or been put in that situation where somebody only had so much time. You went to talk to the boss, knocked on the door. They told you they only got a couple minutes. They just told you there's scarcity of time. That puts you in a position to, or puts them, if you're doing it to them, in a position to clearly and concisely and quickly as possible put out any information, ask any questions, and get a resolution to whatever they're for as quickly as possible in order to have something happen or be decided. And sometimes that can carry on to follow-on situations. What it does is put you in a stronger negotiating position if you're providing scarcity. I only have so much time. 
especially if you're already in a position of authority, it gives you more control and power in that situation, which isn't a bad thing. But it's very easy to do it to anybody, so you don't have to be the boss. It's just easier when you're the boss. Another aspect of negotiation that has to do with persuading and influence people is authority. See, there's things we think of authority in general or certain types of people or organizations that have authority, whether we want to recognize it or not. For example, almost everybody I know that I've ever asked has some opinion of law enforcement. Law enforcement has a certain type of legally backed authority, whether we like it or not. The other thing, though, is we go into places like doctor's offices and sometimes we see their certificates and diplomas on the wall. Now, whether it's intended or not, what it does is bring legitimacy to their authority and knowledge. It brings credibility to their reputation. And it is a good technique to use in order to sway and convince people. The thing is, it doesn't always require physical, actual fact and truth. It's the perception of authority that actually is in your favor, whether it's real or not. It's perception of knowledge on a subject, the perception of credibility from where you're coming from. Now, you have to be very careful with this because if you're trying to use it to manipulate people or anything bad or even good, but you don't actually have the background and knowledge, it's very easy to get exposed. And that's something to be careful of. This is why when I talked about things like in debriefing, when I had to meet people, in a very short amount of time, you'd have to become as much of an expert as possible to the position you were playing in order to get information from them. If you went in there and tried to fake it and you're talking to an expert or somebody that already has some authority and knowledge in that area, but you don't really know how much because you don't understand it, it's very easy to get exposed to where that is a completely burnt situation you can do nothing with. But for most of us, when we're walking in those situations, they're not planned enough far ahead where we really know what this person knows and is aware of. Think of it like this. Let's say you want to go buy a car, you know, going back into the buy a car thing. And you got somebody who bought a car that had a great experience. And all they can tell you is they liked it. They thought they got a great deal. And they know the guy and they recommend him to you. Assuming that's completely honest, one of the things is people always talk about their experiences and how happy they were and the benefits they got out of it because they feel good. But those people aren't telling you any actual facts on authority, credibility, or knowledge that's making that individual somebody you want to go to. They're basing it totally on their feelings, which should tell you off the bat they don't have a lot of knowledge and understanding that field to even know what that person's qualifications are. Funny thing is, when it's more serious, like say it's a medical situation with a family member, we want a second opinion because we don't like something or maybe we think something's fishy. People will do research and put the time in to find somebody that appears by perception to have more experience and knowledge in that area and many times do. But that's something to understand about authority. The biggest thing is the perception of authority. So you're selling yourself, but don't oversell yourself. If you're going to sell yourself as some sort of authority or expert, you got to have some knowledge in that area or at least got to know the limits of the person you're talking to so that you can meet their expectations and exceed them. One of the biggest things about building rapport and building relationships and communicating with people when it comes to persuasion and influence and any form of negotiation, even if it's just perceived because persuasion and influence is a certain level of consistency, a pattern recognition they can follow and count on essentially a baseline. Now, it doesn't have to always be the baseline of your behavior. Maybe that's what does it. Sometimes it's the baseline of the location or the type of the location. One of the ways we'd use this when we were talking to people, interrogating, running sources, whatever it was, is to make them feel more comfortable and to gravitate towards us. We'd create situations that were consistent over time or appeared to be consistent to them in the ways that would make them comfortable. So that's kind of like if you think about things we do, let's say, on a weekly basis. Not really work because we always have to go to work. 
Although we do like the idea of consistent work schedules. Some people like the erratic ones, but some people really like that consistency. Other things are weekly events. If you have a typical Sunday schedule of things you do, which also involves religious services, if they dramatically change those religious services, they can affect the rest of your day enough to upset you, makes you uncomfortable. So you need the consistency of that time. It's the same idea if you got a poker game, a book reading night, a club you belong to, maybe you go over and play cards with your mom, whatever it is, there's a certain level of consistency in the situation we're looking for to be comfortable. Sometimes it's behavior, sometimes it's the location and situation, sometimes it's a little bit of both. But if you can find a way to develop that consistency, that can help you out. Now, one of the things to understand, too, is if you're really trying to go for more of hiding in plain sight and you're just doing this to build casual relationships and get information but be unmemorable, you want to keep the consistency to a minimum. You want to use the consistency for the people you already know, you're already familiar with, or you're choosing to build long-term relationships with. Because you got to remember, unless you're living on your own and barely interacting with society, no matter how much you want to hide in plain sight, and how much nobody really knows about you and how much they think they do, there are a certain amount of people we have regular interactions with, even if it's at work. So there's a time and a place to use consistency, and then there's a time and a place to be very careful with it. One of the things a lot of studies are done on is similarity. There's been studies that show that, especially with group preferences of people, that there's a positive correlation with persuasion to similarity, meaning we like people that are similar to us. Think about dating, making new friends, the way somebody talks to their kid about making new friends and fitting in. Most of the ways we describe fitting in is being more like that group of people. Or when we talk about you guys will get along, you have so many things in common. These are similarities. It's easier to start having a conversation with a stranger in that uncomfortable environment like a wedding reception when you meet somebody and start talking to them about a similarity. For guys, it could be simple as sports. It could be their job. It could be some sort of similar interest and almost always starts with a similar interest. That's something you can use to your benefit, especially when you're just talking to casual people for a few minutes that you're not building long-term relationships with. Even if you can't observe them talking to anybody else, but you can make observations about how they're dressed, what they're buying, if they're in the store, how they're communicating with somebody, you can get kind of a general idea. It takes a lot of practice and a lot of time for observation, but over time and doing things like reading body language and communicating with them and seeing what their attitude and position is, you can start to mimic certain similarities to make them comfortable, whether physical or through speaking. Most of it, though, is going to be more effective through speaking with them in order to show a similarity, a similar interest. Just like somebody goes, man, look at that girl, and they say it like an inevitable way, and you're like, yeah, I know, right? We see that all the time on TV shows and stuff, but we see it all the time in our lives. People are sharing that similarity. Now, some of them are doing them because they don't want to feel left out or they don't want to be judged negatively. That's fine if that's who they are. That's their natural reaction. Hopefully, they work past that. But when you're doing it purposefully with intent, which is most of what I talk about is done purposely with planned intent or reactionary intent, you're trying to keep yourself separate from that situation when it's negative or keep yourself in line with that view of the situation when it's positive based on that other person's opinion of positive and negative. If that even made sense, that might have been too weird. Anyway, the idea is you're using that to show interest. You have shared similarities and opinions. When you agree with somebody or take the same position and understand things they do, especially when it's very emotional and opinion based, it's very easy to draw them in and start to work them through that conversation. Over time, you can put a lot of these skills together and hopefully some of you are out there practicing and trying it out or at least observing things and seeing it. 
And I think you'll find there's a great benefit in this as long as you learn how to do it in a way that comes across as completely sincere. That's what's going to get you with similarities. When you're not sincere, you don't know what you're talking about, it's not going to work out well for you. The last one is the one I have to explain going into the gray man contract, and that's your reputation. Your reputation is worth its weight in gold in a lot of situations. problem with reputation is that's a certain bit of familiarity to where people know you. They may talk about you at other times. They may see you and recognize you very quickly. That sounds like it's going against the gray man concept, but it goes back into we use these things like our reputation to our benefit with existing relationships or future long-term relationships that we're building. And I'm, when I say relationships, I'm talking about intelligence gathering. I don't mean because somebody is or isn't your friend, although that might be what it is. It's for you to decide how to use this in your everyday life. But that reputation can be worth its weight in gold. We all have positive and negative reputations, whether they're real or not. And the thing is, even if they're heavily based on perception, the only way we can change those is based on our interactions and not arguments. If we choose to argue with somebody, whether they know the truth or not, unless they're asking about it, it's going to work against you almost 100% of the time. So it's your behaviors, basically your actions, that's going to dictate most of your reputation, although your words can tear it down very quickly. So reputation can be to your benefit. If you're practicing this stuff and you're trying to do things like, say, you're going to new grocery stores or you're going to new churches, new shops, whatever you're doing, trying to interact with people, and you don't go there that often, and they remember you, you know that you've done something wrong. Unless you want to take advantage of that situation and build a relationship. Or perhaps you purposely had a planned conversation to the best of your ability to drop a couple nuggets of wisdom or whatever it is, came back a month or two later to see if they remember you, And then from there, you're like, wow, I can really make an impression on this person. I can negotiate with them. I can persuade them. I can influence them. And I can use it to my benefit where I need to. Do remember, none of this is meant to help you do anything illegal or to manipulate people in a negative way. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there doing it. But that's not the idea. The idea is to use this to your benefit in a strategic, purposeful way with intent in order to get information, build relationships where you need to, stay out of relationships and become unfamiliar in the situations that you want to. And you'll learn that over time, it takes quite a bit of practice to develop this and it takes quite a bit of skill and it can't just be done quickly. My hope is that this podcast has helped you kind of sum up ideas to take some of these other concepts we've talked about, these other ideas that fall under the persuasion influence, rapport building, making people comfortable, reading body language, conversational skills, And understand how that is all a form of persuasion and influence, which is the positive, positive way to look at manipulation in order to negotiate when we want to negotiate and to hide who we are when we want to hide who we are. If you like this episode, don't forgive us a like, share, heart, whatever your platform is using and make sure you let people know you think will enjoy this material. Give us a review on Apple podcast or wherever you're at. Don't forget to check out the show notes and check out dmrpublications.com. And we will be back again shortly with more information right here on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight.